Hi, and welcome to Hedge Fund Tips podcast and videocast, episode 20 of our videocast, episode 10 of our podcast. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is the week ending March 6th, 2020. And boy, was it a yo-yo week. And that's what bottoming, bottoming processes look like. Uh, I'd like to kick off this week's uh, podcast videocast and just thank Alexander uh, and Anna over at the Wall Street Journal for including me in their article. I guess that'll be in the paper tomorrow. Um, and basically, you know, it was the theme of what I've been covering this week. And that namely is uh, Wall Street is the only place you can go when they hold a clearance sale. No one shows up. And, uh, you know, he even said to me on the phone when we were doing the interview, uh, you're probably the most positive person of all the people I've interviewed today. Uh, and basically my quote was, uh, you know, that we were buying high quality companies uh, that were trading at a big discount uh, to their intrinsic value and kind of pricing, starting to price in the worst case scenario, which would be like a three to five month shutdown or six month shutdown, which is very low probability. Um, but uh, we'll talk a about a few of those names, but you know, the kind of closer here and you can read this and you can definitely pull up his article right at the Wall Street Journal by clicking on this link on the site. Just click under featured on to see any of these. Um, Again, that's Alexander Asipovich. So definitely check out his article called Bonds Rally as U.S. Stocks Extend Decline. And the basic theme was if you look out 12, if you look 12 to 18 months out, this will all be a distant memory. And that's kind of what Warren Buffett was saying about a week and a half ago at the beginning of the meltdown. He was he was starting to buy that day. And uh, we're going to talk about a great article that Jim Cramer did that talks about, uh, you know, Warren Buffett not being perfectly timed, but having it right in the intermediate to long term. And uh, so that's that. So check out this article. And we talked about some of the high quality companies like American Express and Pfizer and also considering Royal Caribbean Cruises. You know, we, you know, we, we uh, it's not something we've done aggressively yet, but I, but we will consider leaning into a full position there. And the reason is, look, uh, Royal Caribbean is now down over 50% for this year alone. We're only two months into the year, 50%. So the implication of that in just rough terms with, with a crayon on paper is that, you know, you're, you're basically talking about them shutting down their business for, you know, four straight months, for, well, technically six straight months. So no cruises anywhere in the world, for six months would justify a 50% drop in valuation. And it probably wouldn't justify it in the intermediate term because you know that even if they shut down for six full months and didn't do one cruise ship for six months, next year they'd be back up and within three or four months, the market would start to discount 2021 demand and 2021 earnings. So 50% is a lot. That's not to say it can't go down 70%. Maybe we'll get an announcement over the weekend that no one can go on cruises anymore for three months until, you know, our new case numbers start to go down. That, that could certainly happen. But, you know, some of these stocks are really starting to price in the worst case scenario. And with the Royal Caribbean, for instance, and again, it's not something that we're, you know, leaning into aggressively yet, but we, we probably will start to, uh, uh, get some exposure 
And that's, you know, not a recommendation. It's just how we're thinking about things based on our risk parameters and, and how we think about risk. Uh, by the way, see the terms, you know, all of this is just opinion, not advice. Um, you know, if you see a scenario where cruise ships would be shut down for more than six months and there would be no cruises anywhere in the world for more than six months, then it's still expensive. I, I don't see that scenario. I see maybe, you know, two, three months in certain regions, maybe two, three months, 100 percent. But at some point, they can't go below zero unless they default, which, you know, they are levered companies. So, yes, they could default. But at some point, you have to get exposure to something. You, you can't live in fear all the time, number one. And number two, you're not putting 100% of your portfolio in any one name. You know, perfect example is energy. And we're going to talk about that train wreck uh, in just a minute. Uh, Short-term train wreck. But long-term, uh, there's going to be value there. It's it's uh, it's just a matter of time. So that that's always been a three- to five-year outlook. We're going to move on to that in just a moment. So uh, thanks again, Alexander. Also, thank you to Ellen Chang, who quoted me in her article on uh, this week in thestreet.com. You can click here to view her article at thestreet.com. She writes for both U.S. News and World Report and thestreet.com. Again, Ellen Chang. And we talk about how we think about risk and, and when you have these periods of dislocation. And we're going to go into that in some of the videos as well. But thank you to Ellen Chang and be sure to check out all of her work at thestreet.com and on Twitter and at US News and World Report. So thank you for including me as well. Uh, this is the Jim Cramer article from this week. It was really well balanced and thoughtful and, and amazing. I mean, a lot of what he does is, is exceptional, uh, as most of you know, but this one really stuck out for me. So go to thestreet.com and just put it in the keyword search bar here. Jim Cramer, call, or Google it. Jim Cramer, I'm with Bar Warren Buffett on this one. And just read the pluses and minuses and how he's thinking about it and how he credits Warren's thinking, be greedy when others are fearful. But he also tempers it and talks about the risks and, and everything else. And, and I think most of the people that have been around in the business for a while, you know, want to be nibbling because they know there's opportunities here, but they also recognize the risk that you could have another leg lower. And we're going to talk about all those different scenarios here. So let, let's just get right to the main article of the week, which was the old Dominion snapback stock market question mark. So is this a snapback stock market? And I chose this song for the theme of this week's uh, article uh, number one, because I, I really like the uh, country band Old Dominion. I'm going to their concert in August at the Meadowlands. Very excited about that. Uh, um, my wife and I will go. And two, uh, to explore the question of whether, in fact, this could be a snapback rally or it's a fake out. And we don't know the answer to that yet, but um, let's look at it. You know, the one thing as I picked this song, I was reading the lyrics trying to kind of tie the lyrics to the state of the market. And it made absolutely no sense until I Googled the word snapback. And what they were referring to is these hats that have adjustable uh, things in the back where you can adjust the size of the hat. Uh, shows how much I know. But then I, then I realized that's exactly what we need here is the ability to have flexible thinking and to adjust as new data comes along um, and to determine whether or not this is a snapback rally. So on Monday of this week, uh, and Monday and Friday, Friday I was on um, 
Liz Clayman's countdown show on Fox Business. Thanks to Liz Clayman and to Ellie Terrett for inviting me on. Uh, Friday we, is when we first said, you know, that was when you had that the, low, the lows of the market so far. Uh, you had the big flush and it was right before the close. And we said, you know, Wall Street is the only place you can go when they hold a clearance sale. No one shows up and there may be an opportunity to start to nibble. So what we, what we explained on Monday when we were invited back on, and Monday was an up day, we were doing nothing on an up day. We explained that what we like to do uh, is you take a look at how much money you want to put to work in the sale and you break it up into five or 10 units. This is what we do. It's not necessarily what you should do. Again, this is opinion, not advice, but you break it up into five to 10 slugs. And on big down days, cause that's what bottoming looks like. It's normal to have these big, you know, thousand point swings or three or 4% swings. Thousand point sounds like a lot, but it's not really anymore. Three or 4% swings every day because the market is trying to find footing. It's trying to get information. It's trying to understand and, and digest all the new data points that are coming in. Obviously you have a period of dislocation because there's uncertainty. And so what we basically do is on big red days, we want to put one out of those five or 10 slugs to work. And what we do is we look for high quality, kind of what people used to refer to as blue chip stocks that have really dramatically outperformed to the downside, the indices. And the, the two examples we gave in the video uh, on Liz's show on Fox Business on um, Monday were, uh, first was American Express was down 30% in a week. So my point to Liz was, when you look 12 months out, do you think people are going to use their American Express card 30% less than they're using it today? And if the answer is that might be a little bit extreme, close to a worst case scenario type of situation, which would imply that GDP is meaningfully negative, then maybe it's cheap. Now, I understand there's some travel exposure. And I understand that type of hair is all part of it. But, you know, American Express is a, is a quality franchise with a moat. It's down 30%. Could it go down 50%? It could go down 50%. But if you look out two to three years, it's probably going to be at new highs. And, and my guess is that it's going to be at new highs by the back half of this year. But time will tell. You know, this could be worse. We could have a situation of, you know, complete stoppage of business. Although with people's ability to work from home and that type of thing, it's... it's um, you know, it's one of those things, again, you're not putting 100% of your portfolio, you, you build a position size. And that, that's going to depend depending on how many names you have in your portfolio and your, your risk parameters and all of that. So uh, we talked about American Express. And then we talked about Pfizer, you know, and Pfizer was down 20% in a week. And the question that we asked was, you know, do you think people will use 20% less medication a year from now? than they're using today. And if the answer is no, um, then it might be something you want to look at. And I made the joke that, you know, Pfizer also makes this little blue pill that can come in handy if you're stuck at home in quarantine. So uh, uh, anyway, actually, it's funny. Someone posted on Twitter today that uh, now that China is recovering from their quarantine and business is going back to normal and you're seeing it in their they have these monitors that measure pollution, I guess, alternative data that some hedge funds use. And, you know, the pollution is going back up and everyone's excited. And that's why actually China markets hit new highs, I think, uh, yesterday um, because they're 
they're getting back to work. But the, what they posted on Twitter was that now that people were stuck with their spouses for a for a month in their house, that uh, all these Chinese uh, fellows are are lining up at the. Uh, it showed a picture of I guess they have these divorce. Uh, buildings where you go to file a divorce and apparently the demand is increasing dramatically after being quarantined for a month. So that's sad. Maybe if they had m used a little more Pfizer and had a little more fun during their quarantine, that wouldn't be, be an issue. But uh, anyway, leaving that aside, let, let's get back to it. So that, that's, that's how we've historically dealt with dislocations is really as an opportunity. And in your mind, you have to think, you know, what what if like you know what if this is like a worst case scenario and it's 2008 and god forbid you bought too early in april of 2008 well take a look back and see how bad that would have been um well okay so you know in the in the intermediate term even one and a half two years out you were already well well beyond your basis and i i don't think that you know if you look at some of the uh non-services ism I, i'm sorry non-manufacturing ism adp numbers the employment numbers two hundred seventy three thousand this morning the unemployment rate i mean we have a huge head of steam coming into this slowdown and hiccup so uh, you, you have to be opportunistic. And, and really, that's where active managers make their money and earn their value is stepping in when there's dislocation for high value names. And then as we get some stability and we, we really get a sense that there's some bottoming, then you can go into kind of growthier, higher beta names down the road. But initially, you really want to be with those stable, uh, large cap, businesses with moats and there are a number of them that we put out this week to to uh to members uh but those were just a couple to be sure another one we put out on um tuesday we were on clear cut on i24 news with um michelle mccory thank you for having us on and adriana guzman invited us on and we put out a couple names there as well. So you can check that out. I think one was Altria. So again, you know, nothing very sexy or fancy, very staid companies that have just come down way more than the indices that you can start to put a little money to work, start to put a slug uh, to work each, each big red day. So we put uh, now, I think it's about five slugs to work. Uh, Thursday and Friday of last week, we put one slug, two slug, uh, we did nothing on Monday, if you remember. We sat on our hands. Uh, the next day, uh, Tuesday, we were able to put more money to work on a big down red day. And then uh, Wednesday, we did not nothing on a big up day. And then yesterday and today, we were able to put two slugs to work. So about five slugs. We got more money to put to work. And um, and that's how we're we're dealing with it, and how we've always dealt with these type of dislocations. That not that's not to say we can't break these lows and take another leg down, but we'll we'll put a couple, two, three more slugs to work over time, and then we'll just sit on our hands and wait for things to work themselves out. So uh, the other alternative is that you know maybe we do a down day and then we just take off, and and then we've only got you know six or six or seven slugs or only five slugs out and we didn't get all of our cash to work and then we'll have to look opportunistically and see what there is to do but to get any money to work at, at these level of discount and it's not just the 15.8 percent peak to trough in the s p 
it's again these names that are down you know <laughs> um, Royal Caribbean for instance and again we haven't put in a full position for that we just started barely nibbling but it's down 50% in a couple of months could it go down 75% before it eventually recovers you bet it could absolutely do that but you know Warren Buffett was adding United Airlines. The same thing could happen with the airlines, but he's taking a longer view. At least, you know, he's probably taking a three to five year view on those, but even a one to two year view, there's there's opportunity. You know, you don't go reckless all in crazy, but you know, you pick your spots and you start to take advantage of, of this that's served up. Otherwise, then, then where's the value add for active management if you're not taking advantage of these um, dislocations. Okay. Now leaving that aside, um, want to thank that, uh, Julie Hyman for having me on, on Tuesday after the emergency fed cut. This was a big question, um, about, you know, whether the 50 basis points made a lot of sense. And the key takeaway that I had, if you remember in last week's video cast, I talked about my concern with what the Fed had been doing with the balance sheet. Okay, so I believe, so so basically they did $785 billion of quantitative tightening from... 2016 to 2018. They sucked that liquidity out of the system. They raised rate nine times in a row. And surprise, we got negative earnings growth for three quarters in 2009. Monetary policy has a lagged effect. So from August, they got religion and they added 400, over $400 billion of liquidity back to the balance sheet on the short end, in, in this case, repo operation and, and some two years as well. And then from January forward, they stopped doing this. And I said, this was a problem because they're taking liquidity out at the exact wrong time. And I also cited uh, Tom McClellan had actually pointed uh, uh, out a similar chart to this. And sure enough, I had expected that they would use the balance sheet to solve this short-term problem and unwind the full quantitative tightening. So in other words, do another $350 billion you know, and unwind the full quantity at 785 billion. Um, I believe that this move, and this has been signature Powell, is when things get going, he, you know, has a tendency to choke it off too soon, like he did in December of 2018. I believe that exacerbated this uh, move. You know, this 15.8% peak to trough was a function of tapering right here. So what did he do this week? He got religion quickly this time. And this is really positive news. Another 100, about 100, close to, a, you know, call it 70, uh, what is this, 158 to 258, almost 100 billion here. Is that about right? Yeah. So they've ramped up the balance sheet liquidity, which is fantastic, uh, just this week alone. And they did the 50 basis point cut. I think the play here is unwind quantitative tightening. I didn't expect the 50% 50 basis point cut. I don't think it will hurt. I don't know that that was the first move. I would have used the balance sheet first and kept the dry powder. But uh, what it does that I talked about on Julie's show 
on Yahoo is it really sets, and also on Michelle's show on uh, I-24 News the same day, this was Tuesday, the emergency rate cuts, is, uh, and by the way, thank you to Pamela Mitchell at Yahoo for inviting me on Julie's show and Adriana Guzman for inviting me on Michelle McCory's show. Uh, it sets the stage for fiscal stimulus. So effectively what you have now is rates coming down. It enables the administration to do two things. Number one is refi some of our long-term debt at lower rates and issue new bonds and do a massive fiscal stimulus um, and get cheap long-term money. And it also enables the rest of the world to do that as well because they're reaching the limits of the efficacy of monetary policy. That's not to say there's not more to do on the balance sheet. There was an article today about how they need to change the law so that the Fed can buy other assets besides bond, besides treasuries, i.e. corporates and, uh, you know, like in some case in Japan was buying REITs and ETFs. But uh, just to give them more more flexibility on that front. Uh, but, you know, the, the 50 bips, again, there's a lagged effect of monetary policy. I think the balance sheet is felt and seen more quickly than is the 50 basis point cuts. Cuts and raises take about four to, four to nine months to filter through the system. This is very constructive on the balance sheet. No one's talking about that they, they actually walk, up, walk back up on this. And the 50 basis points will enable us to borrow inexpensively and hopefully get major global coordinated stimulus going. The other thing that was really interesting this week uh, that I tweeted out was that this here is uh, an ETF that tracks the China A shares. It's called ASHR is the ticker. And you wouldn't imagine... But the A share, China A shares are up over 20, let's see, 26. Yeah, about 20% in the last five weeks. Now you're like, wait a second. Didn't they start coronavirus? Well, yeah, coronavirus started there, but they're, as I said, they've got it contained. Their new cases have plummeted. Um, and as we're seeing from the alternative data and the pollution metrics, they're getting back to work very, very quickly. So if this is any indication, this market bottomed, you know, weeks before we started to see the new cases come down. And this could certainly be a model for a v, potential V-shaped v recovery in the U.S. and in other developed markets. Right now, the cases are new, so the numbers are still going up. But at some point, I think we could we could mimic this, and that would, would be very exciting. A 20% rally in the U.S. would be monster. And some of those stocks that are down 20, 30, and 50% that we discussed will be rip back up very, very quickly. And, you know, it's amazing. Some of these now have yields of 4, 5, 6%, and they're, they're not going anywhere. You know, these are companies that have been around, you know, 30, 40 years. They have moats around their business. And even if you take a little short-term pain, you can add a little more or just hold them, you know, and, and uh, be like Warren, basically. Um, and that's how I'm thinking about that. But I'm not taking any high beta stocks just yet, waiting for a little more stability, a little more clarity in the data. But but this is the China model. If you show signs of containing, once you see that first couple of days of new cases coming down, this thing can just rip roar. And the other thing that I said on Shauna Smith's show a, a week or so ago is once we can quantify it, and the way you quantify it is, you know, um, 
it was that Friday on the low before I went on Fox. I was on Yahoo and I said, you know, God forbid if you're short and you wake up and they say remdesivir is, you know, it's in a stage three. By the way, they started that on February 25th. The tests take about two weeks to get confirmation. But what if you walk up and they said, yeah, we, we did the test because it worked anecdotally in, in cases in Russia, in China, even one in Washington state where they used remdesivir of, from Gilead. And P.S. Gilead is trading as if a positive announcement is going to come out. It could just be rumors. It could be noise and nonsense and maybe – but it's trading very, very strong. Let me just pull this up in a, in a very weak market and – uh, you know, it's not from the cancer deal they did this week, in my view. Uh, look, you know, it's up from 66 to 80 in the last uh, few weeks. And by the way, just so you know, the stage three trial was announced and started during this period. So, you know, it's acting as if they're getting good results. Now, I've heard they won't be able to approve it for humans until April. I'm not sure why that would be if the testing could be finished in the next five days or so. Um, but if you got an announcement and said, look, the results are good. We believe it's safe for humans. It's not yet fully approved, but we're going to approve it on an informed consent basis for severe patients. The game changes overnight. And then people say, "What? Well, look, <laughs> the odds of me getting this are very small. If I do get it, the odds of it being more than, you know, the severity of a common cold or a flu are very small if I'm under 60, very small if I'm under 70 and I don't have any pre-existing um, health conditions like diabetes, resp respiratory problems, smoking issues, etc. So I'm going to go live my life because if I get it, most likely I'll get over it in a week. And if, and if it's really bad, at least there's a drug now. I can take this antiviral remdesivir and all will be you know, odds are very high, I'll be fine. And in, in which case, um, you know, it'll, it'll lay people's fears. They can leave Costco. They don't have to buy 400 things of toilet paper and hand sanitizer anymore. Maybe a bar of soap will be satisfactory and we'll get back to normal. Obviously people will still take precautions for the next couple of months until the new cases start to come down. Um, but that's that's basically where it is. So there are some good things happening in the background that you don't want to under underestimate. Um, and that's why you put exposure here and maybe you take a little short-term pain as you're slowly easing in. But boy, you wake up and things change and you're going to be glad you had money to work. And if things change to the negative, you're going to be glad that you don't have all your money to work and you didn't go bananas and you know put everything to work at once, you know, trying to quote call the bottom. And that's really what I loved about Jim Cramer's article was it was so balanced and so thoughtful. Definitely check that out. Okay, back to the article of the week. As you can tell, there's just a ton of stuff to cover here. So you got a number of things happening. One, the 50 bips is going to work through the system over the next four to six months. This will likely be long gone by the time you get that stimulus for the back half. It's going to be phenomenal. Number two, they've woken up on the balance sheet. Okay, another 100 billion is really a big deal. Really good news. Keep going, Chair Powell and company. This is what works. This is what got us out of the August lows. Uh, third thing you have is on the back half, if you get that Boeing plane back, all the earnings that we're losing here for this short-term shortage, you're going to make up a lot of it from Boeing. Once that comes back on, Boeing's lost $16 of earnings in the last two months. 
FAA gives the go-ahead, that thing goes up, the backlog comes back on the books, and we're off to the races. So don't underestimate that benefit as well. And the market will start to discount. Again, once either we have some clarity around the drug or uh, new cases start to come down. And that's going to take a little while for new cases to come down because it's so new and you know we're just getting the testing kits out, etc. So it's just like use this as opportunity. Use these red days. Be selective, not reckless, one day at a time. And um, and look, you may get to a point where you put out all your 10 slugs and we still keep going lower. Well, then just sit tight and wait it through and think out two or three years. Net, you know, Like Buffett says, you never want to be short American ingenuity. It always comes back and, and we're going to grow over time. So um, that is that. The other aspect of this, um, so we covered the Fed. Ah, now my favorite subject, which has been the albatross around my neck. Uh, oil. So today we had a huge disappointment with OPEC+. Plus. Um, this is the biggest risk to the market, by the way, because and it was unexpected. So I was on uh, Yahoo about a month ago, and I said that, you know, OPEC would have to do cuts, and they'd have to do more than what was expected. Uh, 500000 was priced in. And I said, they have to do more. And she said, well, how much? I said, well, it could be 600,000, could be a million. As of yesterday, and, and they looked at me like I was, you know, that was like a big call back then. So then as of yesterday, OPEC comes out and blows my wildest dreams out with a 1.5 million barrel a day cut expectation. Wow, that's unbelievable. And then Russia blows up the deal today. So this is a problem for a number of reasons. Um, number one is uh, you are going to, you know, when, like we saw in 2016, when WTI trades below $50, you start to have major credit risk in a lot of these companies. Now, we've been adding to exploration and production on all weakness since October. And yes, we added more last week. And yes, we added more this week. And yes, it's been painful. We are um, we're 150% overweight relative to the S&P 500. So the weighting in the S&P 500 is about 3.8. Uh, we got up to 10%. We're a little bit over 10%. Now, this has been, and you can go back and review our articles, this is a three to five year view. We've always said we expect 15 to 20% of these companies to go bankrupt, which is why we bought a huge basket because the ones that are left standing after the consolidation in the industry could be up one, two, three X, three to five years out. And we believe that basket of our portfolio, which is now slightly greater than slightly greater than 10%. And we may be even willing to go up to 12% on this, but not more. In other words, 200% overweight relative to the S&P. Um, but um, so two things, Russia blinked and, and blew up the deal today. I don't think that's the end of it because I think Russia overestimates its stability in the sense that their, uh, their market's down over 20% relative to ours. Our peak to trough was 15.8. I guess we're, I don't know what we are right now, 13% or 14%. Anyway, somewhere in there. They're down 22%. Monday, my guess is they're going to be down 25 to 27, maybe 30%. You know, maybe they'll have their central bank step in for a minute, but they're going to get pounded, really pounded, and they deservedly so. Um, 
So I don't think that's a good thing for political stability. I don't think it's a good thing for their economy. Now, the Russians can withstand a lot of pain. They, they withstood communism for decades, so never underestimate that, that ability. But it's, it's really in their interest to participate with OPEC. And um, the other thing that could impact the world, which is also an unexpected consequence of today, and this is what puts the V-shaped recovery thesis at risk. I'm, not, I'm actually not worried majorly about COVID-19. I am worried about WTI below 50, and here's why. The high yield index is heavily weighted to energy companies. So what happens is when WTI trades below $50 a barrel, uh, credit spreads widen. And when credit spread widen, liquidity dries up and credit tightens. So because of credit spreads widening, banks don't want to lend. And then the market starts to fear contagion risk. Who owns the debt for these companies that are going to default? You know, what are the knock-on effects, CDOs and CDS and, and all of the collateral damage, similar to what everyone was afraid about with the banks in the financial crisis, the knock-on effects of the defaults from the mortgage bonds. And it's the same thing. We saw a taste of this in 2016 when oil dropped and finally the Saudis did a cut. You know, they took too long. So we had to go down to $33 a barrel. And here it's just a question of how long they're going to take the pain because fundamentally, if we, it will hurt us, it'll hurt the world because credit markets will tighten up. And, and when credit markets tighten up, then equity markets get, get hit harder. Um, so this is not just about the energy sector or oil. It's about a you know, really unwise decision. It's something that's against their interest, namely Russia and OPEC Plus, because if the world slows, there's going to be no demand for their product, so they can't get any price for it. And they're way more dependent on that one product for their economic survival than we are. We're a diversified economy. Yeah, we'll take a credit hit. Yeah, our banks will, you know... Uh, not trade as well in the short term because people will be worried about credit and defaults and, and all of that stuff. But the ones that are going to feel the most pain are the members of OPEC because they're much, their economies are much more concentrated and live or die on the basis of oil. So they basically shot themselves in the foot. Now, the Saudis understood this. They were the ones pushing for the 1.5 a million barrel a day cut, and they were going to bear the brunt of the pain. So my sense is that, you know, by next week, maybe, you know, maybe we take a little more pain on oil and, you know, that we may use that opportunity to increase our long-term positioning in that basket to uh, as high as 12% over the next week or two, and that'll be it. You know, that, then it's just live or die. It can go lower and or higher, but that's kind of where we're going to max out at 200% overweight on the S&P for the long-term. Um Unless Gilead keeps rocking, then we'll take some profits. And anyway, so uh, leaving that aside, uh, so so that's where we are. We're continuing to add. We, we take a long-term view, but today was a, was a surprise. You know, the good news is you still have a million barrels a day offline of uh, Libya, which has offset the expected demand destruction of about nine hundred thousand barrels a day from uh, coronavirus. China is ramping back up. You're seeing the uh, the factories go back online. You've seen, you know, Apple's opened up their stores. Starbucks has opened up their stores. 
So it kind of gives us a roadmap forward for the developed world to get through this. And the developed world should be much more like Singapore, which got through their uh, coronavirus in literally like four or five weeks. They ran it like a machine, a uh, well-oiled machine. And um, I talked about that on Michelle's show, so you can check that out there. So that's basically how we're looking at it. Um, you know, we're willing to go up as high as 200% overweight relative to the index, and that's it. And so we've got about 2% more that we're willing to put to work on that thesis. But uh, my bet here is that the pain for them will be greater than the pain for us, and eventually they'll blink and do what they have to do to uh, to recover themselves. And hopefully it's not too late for them because we're, we're a much more dynamic income. We will take pain from their, their decision, but uh, not nearly as much as they will. So that's all I have to say about that update. Now, uh, this week was odd in the sense that the we're going to the shorter term now on sentiment. Bullish and bearish percent went up in the same week and neutrality went down. I've never seen that in my career. I'm sure there are many instances, but it just goes to show when you have thousand point swings up and down each day, it confuses the hell out of people. And again, that's that's called dislocation and that's where opportunity is. Um, this is very interesting. The um, oh National Association of Active Investment Managers, this was yesterday... Uh, I'm sorry, th yeah, Thursday, it was at 65%. Well, look what happened today. It dropped down to below 30% of equity exposure. So they just sold into weakness, okay? Uh, they just basically puked out all their stock into weakness. And look at the last time it got down to 30 was uh, December, November and December of 2018. So again, it was a process. What if you had bought in November of 2018 and had to take that additional leg down in December. Would that have been really painful and scary? You bet. But would you be glad that you did it over the next six to nine months? Yes, you would have been. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's flushed out all the active uh, professionals, which is uh, interesting. That's not to say it can't go lower and we can't take another leg down. That's certainly possible, but um, you know, that that's where we are. The other thing that also got flushed, we were at uh, 15 yesterday on the fear and greed. We're at seven today. Now that's, you know, historically, you take that bet. You know, when you're down in these ranges, the odds of uh, benefiting from being a buyer versus a seller dramatically go up. So there's a lot of fear in the market. And that's why you have companies that have not lost 50% of their business, nor are likely to lose 50% of their business, but are trading down 50% in the last two weeks, or 30% in the last two weeks, or uh, 20%, and you know, relative to the indices that are down 13, 14, 15. And these are not uh, you know, fuel cell companies or some speculative thing. These are staple type, not staples like the sector, but you know, Pfizer's, Altria's, um, American Expresses and some of the some of the banks are good. By the way, interesting thing about the banks, you know, when the best time to buy the banks was last year was right after the yield curve inverted in August when everyone was puking them, them out. Uh, you know, Wells Fargo had a move uh, from 42 to 54 in like six weeks after the yield curve inverted. And everyone was just literally couldn't get rid of the banks fast enough. I'm not saying that that has to play out the same way this time. I'm just saying that, you know, 
there may be some extreme in some of these names that are opportunities if you're thinking past the next three days. Like think out six to nine months, or God forbid, think out one to three years and say, you know, is this business going to be doing 30% less business next year than they are today? And if not, then it might be worth starting to have some exposure. That's, that's how we think about things. Um, okay, so that's the fear and greed and the exposure. And that's that. So last couple of things I just wanted to cover. Surprisingly enough, earnings... This is from today. This is from FactSet. They've got 2020 earnings still at 175 bucks. Even I don't buy that, but I mean, I guess if they backload a lot of them, they can still get to here. But, you know, if we came anywhere close here, the market is really, really cheap right now. Uh, my guess is, you know, we'll see a move down to the 160 somethings before we recover in the back half. And again, that'll that'll be opportunity to put some some money to work. So uh, I went over because we had a lot to cover on different sectors and uh, everything this week. I want to thank you for tuning in. I know it's been a whipsaw type of environment, but you know we kind of shared with you a little bit about how we think about it. You know, we want to get active when it makes sense on red days when everyone is selling. We want to potentially step in selectively to be buyers in high quality names. When everyone's buying and it rips back up, we don't chase, uh, not in a bottoming process. You know, when you do this kind of damage in such a short period of time, it usually takes a little while to heal that pain until you get better data and things start to resolve itself. You know, people were putting out on Twitter, you know, comparing to the 2011 period, the Euro crisis, which I talked about on a couple of my um, segments. Uh, you know, and that chopped back and forth, up and down, retesting the lows like five times before it went back. I, I don't know that if it's going to be that extreme this time. I think, you know, I'm hopeful that we can get something a little bit more like the um, China recovery, hitting new highs uh, uh, here and having a quick recovery once the new cases come down. But, you know, we're just getting started here in the U.S., so we'll probably have some more bad news before we get to this type of inflection. But this is the potential roadmap as we get good news or, you know, God forbid we get a good announcement on the Gilead drug or some other solution, then this thing could just turn fast. But until then, we take it day by day, we be opportunistic, we be prudent, cautious, careful, putting money to work, high quality, not all at once, over time, be prepared if we take out the lows You'll have a flush and have some powder to put put to work during that period. And just, you know, stay positive. You know, the, the numbers here are, as everyone knows, dramatically smaller than the flu. The flu is, you know, can be 30,000 people a year. We've got 3,000 total, and we've already hit the biggest market in the world of China. So maybe that goes up to 4,000 when all is said and done. Maybe in the rest of the world we get another couple of thousand. It's horrible. It's a tragedy for those people and for their family and loved ones. I, I can't imagine the sadness and the, the um, uh, retirement home in Washington and the people that had um, passed away this week. It, it's really terrible. So, you know, we'll get through this. There, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not an oncoming train. It's just a question of time. Is it going to be a quick recovery like we're seeing so far in China? 
or is it going to be a very you know drawn out where it'd be more like three or six months or nine months and then we'll just battle through it and we've been through this before and we've got to you know the other thing is the famous quote never let a crisis go to waste you know there are there are opportunities that you're going to look back three years from now and say you know i could have bought X, Y, I could have bought Exxon at $45 yielding seven or 8%, you know, may, and maybe not, maybe it'll go to 20, but at some point you got to take a couple, you know, a couple flyers on these opportunities, start with higher quality. And then as we get some stability, you can go into, um, the more aggressive names over time. So with that said, uh, let's make it a great week. Hope, hope that helps. See you back here. Same time, same place next week. Make it a great one.